The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Friday Forum. I'm uh, joined by Jack Chambers, TD, Minister of State at the Department of Transport and the Department of Environment, Climate and Communications, Fianna Fáil, Dublin West TD, Pavel Tobin, TD, who's the leader of Ainthu, TD for Meath West, and Gabia Gatavakaita, the political reporter with the Irish Independent. Good morning, one and all. Now, a number of things on our agenda. I'll go to you, Pather, first of all, and the, the, the quandary of Israel and Hamas. Yeah, no, it's it's an incredible situation at the moment that on a daily basis now we're seeing a, a primary school worth of children being killed uh, in there. We're seeing the withholding of foods, aids, uh, fuel. We're seeing, you know, hospitals, I think 46% of hospitals are now not operating uh, in the Gaza Strip uh, at the moment. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that there is war crimes happening and that people have to be held uh, to account in terms of... Uh, of those war crimes. And also, my, my view is that this is happening in, in many ways because some Western countries have given Israel a blank check. America has basically not provided, you know, not has not sought uh, any conditions in terms of the support uh, that they're, they're giving Israel. The European Union has, in fairness, offered a uh, an international peace conference, but none of the details have been mm-hmm. provided in relation to that. I would like to see Ireland, you know, offer some support in terms of bringing that uh, you know, idea into a reality. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it, it, it may happen. But at the very least, I think internationally, we need to put as much pressure uh, on Israel and Hamas to make sure that there is a ceasefire because um, there it is a humanitarian disaster that is going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, the, what Israel seems to be doing, Gebbia, is to say, you know, they've gone just too far this time, killing so many people in one day. We're going to finish this once and for all and to hell with the PR to hell with the consequences and I think Honest Michael Martin actually put it quite well on your programme earlier on in the week he said look you know Israel were saying we, we you know bombed this refugee camp and we killed this one of the top guys in Hamas but is that worth dozens of civilians dying? And, and the answer is no, not really. Um, I think the Irish government has been quite vocal in opposing their views to Israel, but they've also been calling out Hamas. Uh, Tishik Leo Radker speaking in South Korea, of course, where he's on a trade mission there this week. He's saying that it is more like revenge than self-defence at this point. Um, and, and Ireland also doesn't share the views of America, for example, even though it is a very strong ally. Uh, but of course, America is incredibly pro-Israel and that's what gives Israel such a you know, almost permission. Well, we can go off and we can, you know, you know, bomb this refugee camp full of helpless people if we want to. And, and yet, when I was looking at some of the coverage of Hamas spokespeople, uh, first of all, you know, there, there's a, maybe a deliberate lie saying that, mm. that no one was intended to be killed in the way that they were on October the 7th by Hamas. That cannot that's be not, true. That's not credible. Um, I think it's interesting how Ireland's position on this, because the Israeli foreign minister this week said, um, he had a conversation with the with Israel's ambassador to Ireland. He's saying that Ireland is a challenging place for Israel in Europe. And I think that that's actually in itself is, is, is quite interesting. You know, we do, I think the government is trying to be quite balanced on it, but mm-hmm. I think it, it actually hits the right tone for the people who are sitting at home, who are watching this war unfold on their television screens, as wars do nowadays, and they're seeing dozens and dozens of yeah. children being killed. And uh, Hamas are uh, playing mostly to media in the region and they're saying what they say, that, you know, the destruction of Israel is is what they are about. It doesn't mean that ordinary Palestinians have felt that way. But after these bombings, you wonder how many ordinary Palestinians will actually begin to, you know, believe the Hamas solution. Jack? 
Well, look, I agree with the others. We, we've seen a shocking disregard for life. Um, I think Dr. Tedros actually from the World Health Organization uh, put it well. He said fear, death, destruction and loss uh, and just complete devastation. Um, and I think from an Irish perspective, we've been clear with our European international partners on calling for a humanitarian ceasefire, trying to get supplies uh, to, the, to citizens in um, in in the Gaza region, we've morgues overflowing, thousands seeking shelter, um, and potential for the disease outbreak. It is just. I mean, if you put yourself picture. in the shoes of people in Gaza who cannot move for whatever reason, they've been told by the Israelis to to move where to and in what conditions, mm. and they're sitting there or lying there overnight, and they hear the missiles coming in, and they don't know: is it my time? Is is my time up? Um, nowhere to go undernourished, maybe no water, no electricity, and they hear this ordinance coming in. I mean, it must be absolutely terrifying, Terrifying. even for those who are not. Seeing the the pictures, just the trauma and the absolute devastation, seeing mothers and fathers picking up their dead children after being hit by a bomb, it is just shocking. And international humanitarian law is not an option. It's obligatory and uh, and that's why there needs to be a humanitarian ceasefire and and su- supplies to protect and save lives. It is just yeah. uh, beyond the, the, There is that whole uh, dilemma about what Israel is doing as a state, uh, Gabia, versus what Hamas are doing uh, as they've been designated by many countries as a terrorist organisation. You know, the the... The International Criminal Court can have a go at Israel, mm-hmm. but you know, having a grow at the uh, at Hamas, who are they? Where are they? Who are the people who put their hands up and said, "Yes, we order the killing mm-hmm. of eight hundred Israelis"? Yeah, Hamas terrorist group. I mean, let's be very clear about it. But also, that doesn't mean that everything that Israel is doing in Gaza is okay either. And actually, like this conflict is really, really quite complex. I've <laughs> I've been sitting at home more or less every night, watching videos online, reading articles, trying to understand. There is no black and white view on this. I think when you compare it perhaps with the war in Ukraine, maybe that's a little bit easier for people to understand. But when you see the atrocities that are going on, I mean, people were in a festival enjoying their weekend and then suddenly they were swept in, kidnapped. And one of those, as we learned this week, was shot in the head and beheaded. I mean, that is just completely unacceptable. But also the things that are happening in Gaza now, inflicted mm-hmm. by Israel, are also unacceptable. See, like Heather. I often think of the, the Patrick Pierce uh, quote, the fools, the fools, they give us our Fenian dead. Okay, so if even Israel were to wipe out Hamas, um, the level of injustice that's happening at the moment will create a new generation of people who will take up arms against the Israeli state. There's no doubt that every time they bomb, that a, a bomb drops on a school or a hospital, the anger and hatred and bitterness that that creates is going to be fertile ground for more people to take up arms. Mm. So there has to be a political solution to this. Yeah. And I know that political solution might seem miles away at this stage, but the only way that that political solution can be brought anyway closer is for the international community to really step up pressure in yeah. terms of... I mean, of we see in Northern Ireland with the peace process, uh, you know, since the Good Friday Agreement 25 years ago, you, you, there are still peace walls in Belfast, which is a bit of a misnomer. They're there not to make peace. They're there to keep people apart. Yeah, like, uh, Unfortunately, that level of bitterness is generational uh, and it does not dissipate uh, in the space of, of 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement. And, and, you know, people often think that it should, but, you know, even the bitterness in the Civil War took nearly two generations mm. this side of the border uh, to dissipate. But I do think that the Irish government, you know, Ireland is, is understood to be an, an honest broker internationally. We have a competency in this country in terms of conflict resolution. 
we are a small country, but we should actually be, be trying to force the European Union into that international peace conference situation and even maybe providing Ireland as, as a possible location for some of that work to be done. Uh, because uh, right now as well, the European Union is at sixes and sevens in terms of its its own approach. I think, you know, Ursula von der Leyen has distorted the uh, the, the foreign policy uh, position of many European countries. And I would call on the Irish government to, to step up, not just as rhetoric, which has been positive, I, I will agree, but also to see, can we actually make concrete proposals in terms of an international peace conference? Jack? Well, we're doing a lot more than, than rhetoric and the Tanisht is working with uh, Joseph Perel and EU partners and also within the UN structure to advocate for peace, to promote a humanitarian... But didn't the Taoiseach future. say that we make our position known, but we're not sure anybody's listening? But what are the chances of actually holding a conference in Ireland when the EU can't even make up its mind about a simple statement to put out about the conflict. I mean, it's been days arguing over should we use the word pause or pauses and will we call for a ceasefire or not? I mean, you know, like the EU has been quite slow on this and people in Israel are thinking, well, people in Israel and Palestine are thinking, well, or should I say the Gaza, people are thinking, well, you know, we're crying out here for help. You can't even put out a simple statement to, you know, sh- shed any light on this. Never mind take actually decisive action. The European Union have been useless on this, is, is, is the truth of it. An actual fact, a, an Israeli spokesperson was asked about the nebulous proposal for this international peace conference. And they said, well, they don't know what position to take on it because there's no details yeah. as of yet. But it doesn't it suit them anyway not to do anything yet because they're on the cusp of what might be a significant military achievement, which is the capture of Gaza City the destruction of the tunnels, which is what their objective is. So I would see them prevar- prevaricating for a while until they've achieved that military objective. I agree, they're playing for time in this and, and it suits them that the international community is so confused in its response. And the immediate, the immediate focus has to be to get aid to citizens in Gaza. It has to be to have a humanitarian ceasefire and the focus then has to be on, a, on, a, on some way to develop a process around on peace yeah. and reconciliation. The, the and, difficulty and is when you look at the maps though, the two-state solution is very hard one to imagine it's, with two separate that, territories that are not linked. And it's totally unworkable and that's what we've had for a couple of years and clearly it is not working. I mean, if you look at the history, you've seen several uprisings, uh, the Antifadas as they're called, and clearly a two-state solution does not work. So I think there is a role um, on the international stage for EU perhaps to lead the charge on this, you know, and join forces with the UN and say, okay, well, what actually can we do here to try and like stop the bloodshed? Okay, even if Gaza is captured, like at the cost of how many thousands of lives of innocent people who've done nothing wrong, who probably maybe aren't involved in the conflict, don't care either way. Um, and they have nowhere to escape, as you're saying, Pat. You know, you're being told we're going to bomb this place, you should evacuate, but where are you supposed to now, go? I, I want to... Park that, uh, no doubt we'll be talking about this for many, many weeks and months to come. But I want to go back in time now to COVID and what's going on in uh, Westminster, the inquiry, the COVID inquiry. Uh, on one level, it's farcical and almost entertaining. On another level, it's it's disgusting. It's incredible. It's indecision and chaos. Uh, it's at a level that, you know, we were just talking about this earlier. If it were a sitcom, we would not believe it uh, in, its, in, in the level of chaos. Uh, people could not make decisions. Um, you know, decisions were being flipped day in, day out. Um, and, you know, there was complete mistrust and lying uh, happening. Um, one thing I will say in, in relation to this is the British are at least investigating what happened in terms of how they, they approached COVID. We've been calling for the Irish government to have a COVID inquiry uh, and a COVID investigation here. Uh, also, 
there, we have, I think, strategic resistance amongst the Irish government in terms of having that investigation because they don't want to pull the, the curtain back or the veil back in terms yeah. of what happened here. Now, it's, it's doubtful, no matter what we would find, it's doubtful it'll be as bad as, as it was in Westminster because yeah. what was the, the term I read? That unfortunately, Boris Johnson's skill set didn't suit this particular crisis. <laughs> How bizarre is that? Uh, look, uh, the, the, what we're seeing in the UK is quite farcical and it's also extraordinarily adversarial and I think um, we've been very clear we will have uh, a full evaluation of decisions taken we have strong consensus around a lot of decisions we took during COVID um, and I think a very transparent structure on how decisions were made obviously there will will have to be lessons learned in terms of pandemic preparedness around the shape of a future response um, on the, on, the, on a level of restrictions and so on. Uh, and I, I think we've, you know, we are absolutely open and there's a process underway uh, to actually structure a, a, an evaluation. But it has to be about how we can strategically prepare for the future, take an honest evaluation on what we didn't get right and also look at what, what worked. Um, and so we're better prepared for the future. The UK yeah. inquiry. But I mean, there, there are be... fundamental questions about you know the delay in introducing antigen testing, the delay in recommending masking. You know, and you had Neffet yeah. uh, equivocating on these things yeah. that turned out to be hugely important in human health. Uh, the recognition that this was an airborne transmission rather than one by yeah. touch. All of these questions, yeah. I would like answers to, to why they I, were behind the curve. And of I think the science. I think it's important, but it's also important to balance those concerns with the most successful vaccination rollout um, across sure. the uh, European Union. Uh, we had one of the lowest uh, um, excess mortality in the EU where Ireland performed well. Dr Hugh Brady's report actually set that out. So I, I accept there are yeah. decisions we took which, which had an impact on... There were, de- there on, were deaths and, in nursing and, homes no, that no, and, and, should and, and, not and have I, happened. And, and I, look, Can that's why there has to be an evaluation. We have to be open-minded about what... Uh, what the recommendations will be and the learnings that we take from it. And I think every, anyone within the political system uh, would welcome an, a comprehensive evaluation. But it's to learn from this. Decisions were taken, um, w- again, with the best advice given to us at the time. And I think Ireland performed well overall. Okay. Well, why don't you put in that evaluation? I mean, why is it taking so long? Like, even the UK, who were talking about how much of a farce is your same minister, it is over there. In fairness... At least they have the inquiry. Yeah, it's ongoing. There will be an evaluation, and there's there, there, that's being again and yeah, again the, the comprehensive use of evaluation. So, so the government won't use the word investigation; they use review or evaluation. It has to be a, a, there has to be an inquiry in relation to it. So, for example, tens of thousands of patients were moved from hospitals into nursing homes at the start. Many of them were never actually tested whether they had COVID or not. Many of them seeded COVID in the nursing homes. The nursing homes, as you know, were, were the ground zero of the deaths mm. that happened uh, in relation to it. Also, a big question: you talked about lower excess deaths in Ireland compared to other countries during COVID. We have actually higher excess deaths now than many other European countries. And that's because we saw cancer services closed. We saw mental health services closed. We saw heart disease and stroke services closed, uh, for example, during those periods. So we need a public investigation. I'm not interested in necessarily pinning blame on a politician's uh, 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 shoulder. I think we need to find out what we did wrong to make sure that yeah. when, if it happens again, we do it right. But in things the, like the closure uh, of construction, was it absolutely necessary for guys who no, were... No, and I, I, I think we have to be... Like, I'm not going to... Like, there will be decisions we took for, you know, in terms of closure of schools, stopping exercise and sport. There's a load of things that I think if you look back at 2020, of course, you, you know, it, it's easy to look back now and wonder, was that the right call? And that's why we need to have the evaluation yeah, and, I'm, and I'm be open-minded about the outcomes in terms of future decision-making. And I don't think anyone in the Irish government... Uh, 
is, is against that. It's about accountability, I think. And there is a certain recognition that perhaps nobody wants to pin blame, as Pather is saying. But I think it's also a, a case of protecting the civil servants a little bit um, from some of the decisions that were made. Perhaps saying, look, Neffet were in a difficult position. Maybe their advice was right 90% of the time, 10% of the time it wasn't. Um, or I don't believe they had an immunologist on Neffet. They had 40 people or whatever, but they didn't have an immunologist. Yes, and I don't think anybody wants to say, well, we sh- perhaps, you know, pin the blame all on Tony Hollihan or Ronan Glynn or whoever. Um, and I think there's a little bit of protecting of the civil servants who, you know, are not elected politicians. They did their best, perhaps, at a time when it was an emergency and a real crisis. Um, but, you know, what's done is done and, and can't be... OK, let's hope we don't have another uh, epidemic for quite some time or pandemic. But what we will have for sure, for sure, is flooding. Pather. One of my biggest frustrations with the issue of flooding is that this government has been proven to not to be able to deliver capital projects properly in this country. So whether it's the National Children's Hospital, whether it's Metro, or whether it's uh, the, the flood defence systems in, in Middleton, we know now these projects are taking an age... And they're costing way more than they should. So there's a major problem with regards to the planning process. So, for for example, Middleton. Uh, In 2015, Storm Frank hit and we were told that then that a process uh, of public consultation started. And yet the planning application is not even in and won't be in until next year. Now, that planning application will take years because we don't fund planning process long enough. It may well get a a legal challenge. But the court system in in this country is also glacial because it's inefficient and it's not properly staffed. Jack, we have to fix our... I mean, I I heard Patrick O'Donovan talking about the work that the OPW is doing in in various places. And Mm -hmm. there are some projects ongoing. Some have been completed and have proven to be effective. But if you're talking, as Pather's been talking about, a delay four, five, six years before the idea to respond and the completion of that response, that's that's inordinate. I'll just say there are 53 schemes have been completed, half a billion euro spent. There's 1.3 billion euro outlined in the National Development Plan to drive the delivery of the schemes. I was down in the communities in Cork and saw the total devastation for homes and businesses and the you know the traumatic event how lifetimes of work in terms of their homes and businesses were destroyed um, and we're trying to provide assistance to that on the issue of the uh, on the, on the flood relief schemes they are taking uh in an ordinate length of time there are complex projects and part of that is connected to the planning system uh, and that's why we're trying to reform that and the, the planning bill is being advanced um, obviously that that will be a core part around overall capital delivery we're seeing impact on you know in terms of delays with some of the housing projects for example in, in Borplala and there's been increased resourcing from Borplala yeah, you, You'd and, love and to, you know you talk about inquiries into Covid you'd love to see how planners at every level allowed building on flooding planes. Yeah, planning extraordinary. Planning has been a disaster for years and years and years in this country and I think as, as well as, as part of the housing crisis to see why so many homes weren't built for so many years. Like Planning just takes way too long and the fact that you have to get everyone's opinion and every single objection is it's considered so carefully. I think it was interesting to see the government moved to increase the funding um, on those flood relief schemes. You know, businesses who, who are fighting to survive, they can now uh, avail of grants worth up to 100,000 each. Obviously that had to be um, increased in, in, in recent yeah. days. Uh, well, they won't get insurance in future. That's the, the problem. But last words, I just give an example of how poor uh, public delivery of, of infrastructure is now. It takes eight months to turn around a local authority house to re-rent, okay? Eight on, months. A, on average. It takes three weeks for a private uh, 
rental to turn around on average. The state is is riven with red tape, bureaucracy and waste and that's why these projects are so... part of the new planning so, bill so, planning so bill will help, will help... But that will only that. help at... at, at will at help. The, the, it will the, help. The You'll agree it will help. Yeah. It will help. But it won't anyway, the there, there are better ways of doing things we know that for sure. <laughs> but anyway, we have to leave it there. Uh, Gabia, thank you very much. Pather, thank you very much. And Jack Chambers, Minister of State of the Department of Transport and Department of Environment, Climate and Communications. Big mouthful. Thank you also very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk. All right.